I just thought I'd run the music. But I'm going nuts. Yeah, I think that would be a little... Uh, I, feel I liked it at first for about 30 seconds. Maybe it's too much music. Yeah, I'm afraid I'll never love Dana Shore again. Part, I would say. What? Hell, got a lot of issues in there. Yeah. Probably the same guys who play a lot of different weddings and things. They're international. I think so. What time is it? Oh, it's like some some after. Okay, we should have started by now. Yeah. Whoa. Shh. Shh. It stopped. I just turned off the sound. Hi, Lyle. Hi. How are you? Are you familiar uh, with the Huga? Not really. No. The whole principle behind I, I, it, which is actually trying to relax. Not even that. I'm, I'm when you're not Danish. I'm expecting to be educated on this. Really? After today's show, yes. Okay. I'll know all. I hope about you don't it. dash your expectations. <laughs> I hope you not sound very too. unexcited about this. Yeah. Well, it was uh, how I woke up. I yeah. Wrong side. I must have. Yeah. Uh, what does that even mean, the wrong side of the bed? I don't know. How does that happen? I know it happens. I don't know how it happened. I can't remember. It depends on the night before, I think. Well, you know, because, you know, if if you have two people sleeping in a bed, usually one has the one side and one has the other. So if you're on the wrong side, it means that they're not there, and you or you rolled over them and, they, and, and killed ro- and smothered them, possibly. Well, that's a... I don't want to get too down here right on a, on a hygge day. <laughs> As we're celebrating, I got a fire going here in the fake fireplace. It's a fake fire in a fake fireplace. That seems appropriate. Can we see it in there? Yes. Very Danish thing to do, apparently. But I don't think it's a Danish stove, f- is it? No. Yeah. Oh, and you said you thought it was what? Uh, uh, Scottish uh, goat intestines. Yes. Haggis. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> Not many people would get that joke, probably. Well, Scottish people yeah. would get it. I hope, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Let's play some Scottish music, as a matter of fact. Very similar in a lot of ways, really, (laughs) that we just heard there. And I wonder who started all this thing, traveled the world, and brought this type of music that never ends. Oh, that never ends. It's always playing behind you, like a movie theme. (laughs) Your time has come, Lyle Anderson. Now, uh, Lyle Anderson is is an O, but if you were an E, you would be Danish. See how that works? And see, when I grew up, we were taught that uh, S-E-N meant uh, they were Swedish. S-O-N meant Norwegian. Okay. And I've since and found S-I-N? out that that... Were you taught about that? No, we've ne- we know. Those were other people. <laughs> we didn't know anything about yeah. S-I-N. No. All right. Okay. Uh, all the news that isn't for 2.15.20. This starts with a, a piece of uh, theater here. So. Oh, no, I didn't say I was an influencer. I said I had influenza. <laughs> okay, here's another piece of acting here. Okay, this is a wife looking through the visa entries. Honey, did you give $500 to hookers for Jesus? Okay. And in other news, that is it. So there's, that's the most acting I've ever done in one day. Uh, NASA is confident it can return to the moon by 1970. Uh, Trump wants to come along with his driver and a bucket of balls on the moon. You betcha. If it's one thing that guy's got, it's a bucket of balls. (laughs) 
Another video turns up. This one showing Michael Bloomberg promoting his Stop and Briss initiative. Ooh. You. Oh, that's going to go viral. <laughs> uh, the Trump budget shoots to number one in fiction, possibly because of somewhat heavy-handed use of irony, building a better tomorrow. One chapter. These are all chapters. <clears throat> Countering emerging threats. Stopping wasteful and unnecessary spending. See if the wall is listed in that. I don't see the wall in there. Uh, delivering a more responsive, agile, and efficient government. Page two. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Heavy-handed use of irony. Department of Education, Department of Defense, Department of Energy, Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Justice, and so on. Uh, Speaker Pelosi responds by tearing the 415-page Trump budget into. She's Single-handedly. Amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Roger Stone's sentence reduced to 90 days or life expectancy, whichever comes first. <laughs> Attorney General Barr says he can miscarry justice without the president's help. Thank you very much. Minneapolis. Can't say that, so I can't say Minneapolis anymore. I'm never going to mention that place again. Twin Cities targets found themselves oh. with Minnesota Badgers onesies for sale. You saw that I have a picture of that here, in case you wonder what that might look like. Minnesota Badgers in a onesie. Ha ha. <laughs> they sold two of them. But I would buy They only one. sold two of them? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Two, they, two onesies. You'd, you'd think they'd be a rare so item. They sold twosies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think. Yeah, I'd like, 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 like an up, I'd upside. Wear, if I could wear a onesie, I would wear that onesie. <laughs> Uh, where was I there? A study in the Journal of International Psychology finds that self-centered men who are argumentative, stubborn, disagreeable, and unempathetic are much more likely to own German cars. Hmm. Or, as one wag put it, men who own Audis, Mercedes, and BMWs are more likely to be assholes. <laughs> now, what's, what's odd about this, Klaus, is that the study was of Finnish men. Finnish? Finnish yeah. So this is so unexpected. <laughs> because we know that Finns cannot be assholes because they're cool. They're laid back, they're relaxed, they're smart, they're, they're evocative of, of all that we consider good in life. And yet the Finnish men who own German cars are assholes. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about this. And I want you to defend <laughs> either German cars or <clears throat> assholes. That's I don't know what you want to. That's Finland, not, it's fin- it's not, not Finland. Denmark. Yeah. Well, you speak, you speak for Finland as well, don't you? You're in Scandinavian studies. <clears throat> An Oxford psychologist wants to wean people off meat with nicotine-style patches smelling of bacon. What? Would also serve to wean people off relationships. That's a good, <laughs> it's a good thing. Unless the gal really goes for the bacon type, and they're out there, believe me, if you're looking for one. They should have a smell strip on Tinder. That'd be really good. What do those guys smell like? Bacon. <laughs> bacon. On Grinder, they definitely need a smell strip. Uh, Pope Francis will not allow Amazon priests to have hardship marriages. So, yeah, really, why double down on hardship? You're already in the Amazon. <laughs> so maintain Up a the marriage Amazon. in the Amazon, it would be hard. Uh, Star Trek production sues the U.S. U.S. Space Force and Mike Pence personally for stealing their logo. Here they are. Yeah. I've seen it. You know, they're practically identical, except there's, the Earth, <laughs> there's no Earth behind the Starfleet command because they're bigger than that. Uh, Americans, well, Americans on Twitter, well, a few Americans on Twitter, asked who the phoenix arising from the ashes of a deadlocked Democratic convention split 
three ways. And they, on The Rock, Alec Baldwin, and Hillary. So they were asked, the question was very simple. <laughs> Who will arise from a deadlock convention, Democratic convention? Ah. And they were given three choices. The Rock, yeah. Alec, Baldwin, and Hillary. And the three individuals what? each picked one. So... <laughs> It may not be scientific. It was three individuals, but I'm saying it, it indicates that there's they, not. It's, it could be a deadlock, deadlock convention. They could run as a trinity. Anyhow, that's all the news that isn't. That's a joke. God, they, someone poked him with a stick. <laughs> the guy was sleeping. Oh yeah. Coming up now, we're gonna hooga, y'all. I got my little fireplace going. I hope you got yours going. By the way, if you're gonna hooga during our hooga episode here. We'd like you to call in 608-257-2616 and uh, you know, just tell us uh, if you who got often and with whom and where you were last <laughs> night. Uh, 608-257-2616. If you're going to who go along with us today as we talk with Klaus Anderson with an E, please, about uh, who got and how it has swept the world. First of all, why is it called Scandinavia? Well, this, it's called the Scandinavian Peninsula. That's kind of the pen, peninsula that comes down and includes Norway and Sweden. So yeah. in Scandinavia, when you talk about Scandinavia, mm-hmm. it includes three countries, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Yeah. But if you talk about the Nordics in Scandinavia, yeah. then it includes what you in the U.S. would call Scandinavia, which is Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. So I get it. Which ones were the Vikings? There's a lot of confusion about that in my mind. I mean, the Vikings were Denmark, Norway. The, the Danes were the Vikings, right? And the Norwegians too, right? And yeah. then they were the ones who moved more to the north, Iceland, Greenland, and then over to the But it was the Danes, really, the Danes. They say the Danes. Don't yeah. they take the most of the credit? I mean, we Vikings. took, at least we, the Danes were the one who went to England and went, went down to uh, southern parts of Europe. Yeah, they actually and, civilized England. That's one way to put it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were just growing turnips and stuff there and, and chasing chickens around. Yeah. And Brexit is just their latest response to that, right? They're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still chasing them. Are you tired of talking about the huga? You must be. Yes, I mean, there's I more know, to you right? than huga. Huga. Let's get that straight. Huga. That's right. hard for me to yeah. do. Um, I mean, I'm tired of talking about it because it's pretty basic yep. right i mean how many times can you say it's about turn down the lights a little bit create a cozy atmosphere react relax sit in front of the yeah. fireplace and and take some time out of your day with a warm cup of coffee that gets a little tiring because it there's really not much more to it than that mm-hmm. so i try always to to add a little more and see i mean there's a historical aspect there's a linguistic aspect for instance for danes Talking about hygge is very much part of embracing the concept. Mm-hmm. So we use the word both both as an adverb, as, no, I'm sorry, as an adjective, of course, mm-hmm. but also as a verb and as a noun. Mm-hmm. And and when you talk about it, it's like you say, now we're having a hygge town, town, time mm-hmm. um, becomes kind of a speech act and it's a like way bud, of like bud time for us. <laughs> that might be a. Um, not necessarily the best example, but yes, no. yeah. Well, I don't usually give the best example. It's, it's really not my job. It's your job. 
but at least speaking about it, right, is very much part of a living the concept. Yeah. yeah. So just the fact that, I mean, you've said Hugo here the first 10 times today, right? Hugo, means that Hugo. It, I said like, it wrong every time. Though. Yeah. But see, now we have a conversation about how you pronounce it yeah, yeah. and what it's all about. Hugo. See? Yeah. That guy's wrong. Hugo. Yeah. No, he said Hugo. Yeah, he has like more an Huga. A sound in the end, right? Hugo. Hugo. He's not from there. He's not from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was struck by the Kierkegaard and irony. Is that work still going on? No, it's not. That's that's old yeah. work. I, I still teach uh, Kierkegaard. You do? Or Kierkegaard. Yeah. Uh, can't but, but I don't really work on him anymore. But, I mean, yeah. Kierkegaard wrote the, the best book that's ever been written on irony. Yeah, he did? Yeah, the concept of irony that came out in 1841. It was even it was called actually, that. How did I The concept it? of the irony. And the irony is that irony is not a concept, right? Um, and then he writes 300 pages, and then in the very last sentence he says, hey, but humor is much more interesting than irony. And that's kind of how he finishes it. Wow. Yeah. I like him now. Um, I had no idea. Was it was actually his master thesis at the University of Copenhagen at the time. Yeah. And at least 200 pages are completely boring academic um, writings, right, where he has to fulfill what it took to take a degree back then but the last hundred pages are fun they're interesting they're engaging he even cracked jokes in it as well so yeah, yeah. what's a Kierkegaardian joke if I were he I mean he talks about how the the romantic he he hated romantic irony as we know from the romantic movement right in the 19th century yeah. so he talks about how the the romantic embraces the twilight how he embraces the sleepiness right and just when everything is about to happen the romantic fall asleep <laughs> so that's kind of romantic i am i guess well isn't that something yeah happy so this and like this happiness but what is interesting about yeah. hugo right i mean hugo as a word existed during kierkegaard's time mm-hmm. in the 1840s copenhagen but the way it's used now to talk about coziness and right something you embrace where you sit in front of the fireplace is is actually a much more recent um, way of using the word that came up in the eighteen late eighteen sixties and eighteen seventies after uh, Denmark had lost the provinces of Schleswig and Holstein. Uh-huh. Denmark went. Would they lose them too? To Germany. Naturally. Uh, yes, naturally. In, I mean, in the span of the 19th century, Denmark went from being a relative important power, European power. Mm. It had the second biggest navy in the world. Mm. Uh, Norway was part of the kingdom. And the Danes, the ones speaking Danes, were actually the minority in the country. Mm. So we went from a big power that people actually recognized to a minuscule little country. You mean, so the Danes ran the Norwegians? Yes, yeah. Norwegian was wow. part of what we call the Twin Kingdom mm. all to, until um, 1814. Mm. Um, so losing all that... Who, who are the, the twins? The, just Denmark. Denmark just like the Twin Cities, you don't want to say was there, who, Atlas, right? was there a king running both of them? Yes, or? that was the Danish king. Who was that? I mean... Who united the two? Oh, we then then we have all to go all the way back to the 13th century to nope. the Kalmar Union and actually Queen Margrethe the first. 
The first. Yes. And then a number of Was she of called kings. the first when she was the first? Or the no, she was not. She and she was actually, I mean, she's an interesting, she's like the first feminist in, in cool. Scandinavia. She kind of took over power. It was actually her son yeah. who was the king. And when he died, he she took over and united Scandinavia and, and took power at a point where women certainly did not have yeah. that kind of power in Scandinavia. But what was her rise to power controversial? <sighs> Was there a war I mean, that it was not? It, there was not. A, there was not a war at the time. No, no. Um, but it, it certainly was controversial that yeah. she gained so much power in such a short period of time. Right now, they're actually producing a TV series about her in uh, in in Scandinavia. Really? So we'll see what happens when that comes out. Well, but, uh, um, but losing all that territory, right? Going from a country that people recognize to a minuscule country. Where with only 1.4 million citizens, um, and losing in 1864 a third of the territory to the Germans overnight, and it was only because the Germans had mercy on Denmark that we did not cease to exist as a nation. Hmm. Meant that Denmark were like, okay, if we don't matter to the rest of the world, let's turn the back to them and ah. just say we're good enough the way we are. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the the Hugi concept, right? You sit down, you turn your back to the rest yeah. of the world, and you're embracing your own little circle of friends, your own yeah. little circle of people who are like you. And I don't think it's a coincidence, for instance, that 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 Hugi, as a concept, exploded in the UK in 2016 Brexit, right? Yeah, yeah, um, right. At a, at a time where the UK too had said goodbye to, to Europe at least, right? And yeah. turned their, their back to that. And here in the US as well, when, with, with Trump running on a isolationist platform, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So instead of... This is a damn complicated concept. It is a really complicated it, uh, now concept. Now I can't relax anymore. <laughs> I can turn off the fucking fireplace. It's costing me a fortune, number one. I mean, the concept, you know, my mother used to call it putting your feet up. You know, it's about as complex as that. And sometimes she would smoke a, a cigarette, one cigarette. She'd close the kitchen doors, put her feet up on the on the chair next to her. I don't be, know, you be, know, but be, certainly... Being, being able to do that, and I think that's another, if you want to be critical of the concept too, yeah. right? And I think when, when you read all of those books, and there's so many books on Hugo, and they're fun to read, and they're all about relaxation, right? It's all about finding your inner self. It's all about pleasant togetherness, which is how I define Hugo, right? Pleasant togetherness. Pleasant togetherness is that what we often forget that it's being able to do that it's also a very privileged position yes right um it is the one who have the means to do so yeah it is the ones who are not necessarily right. struggling to um, make ends meet right it is the one who who, who can come home yeah. and actually have a fireplace yes right so there's a level of privilege in it as well, and I think that's where it plays in. The reason why it's so yeah. big in Scandinavia is that you have the Scandinavian welfare state mm. to take care of many of those things. Yeah. Socialism. Is it? Not no, anymore. it's not. It's not. Uh, the, Sorry, I could see I offended you there. And no, I, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, I didn't want to start something here. If we want to get into the two, through that, that's yeah. a different conversation. It's super yes. interesting, right? Yeah. Of course. Because right they're, now, they're throwing socialism around in this country. We, and really, we're talking about... Not full-fledged socialism. Yeah, but, but the, the the origins of the uh, welfare state, of course, you, you you it has different origins, right? Part of it was some social programs that came into existence in the 30s in the wake of the crisis, right? The mm -hmm. financial crisis, sure. uh, the economic crisis there. Well, social security, uh, that sort of uses. Yes, right? Yes. 
um, and they were a little more expansive, um, extensive in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. But when it really started exploding, the welfare system, as we talk, talk about it, right, in the 50s and the 60s, mm-hmm. it was to increase capitalism. Mm-hmm. How do we make as much money as possible, sure. right? It's a waste of time. To, people have to worry about a number of things. So let's take care of that for them. It is much more efficient that we have women working mm-hmm. than being home taking care of the the children. Mm-hmm. So let's make public daycare centers mm-hmm. where one person can take care of seven children and the women can go out working. So it's simply to increase productivity. Uh, so it's much more linked to, to capitalism. It was a social democrat. What they wanted, they wanted to redefine capitalism in, in a way that, yeah, could benefit the workers as well. Yeah. So And we have, in this country, Calvinism, which... Uh, precludes any such way of approaching a situation. I mean, that's what the, the Republicans and the conservatives are basically Calvinists in terms of not that's not what a country should do for its people. That's, you're not, you know, there, you have no rights in particular except maybe to breathe the air, bad as it is, and, you know, and very few rights, actually rights of, of citizenship. Yeah, but, I mean, it's also when you're in a small country, mm-hmm. right, you need to be competitive on the world market. Yeah. And how do you do that? Education, right? So you want to make sure you have the highest educated workforce in the world. You want to make sure people have access to that education so they can go out and be productive members of society. Yeah. So well, you know, it, it's not because the states are good. Yeah. It's not because they love their yeah. citizens more. Yeah. It is simply to make sure that people are as productive as, as possible yeah. and can maintain uh, that level of competitiveness. That's very disappointing, Klaus, because I, I was looking towards Scandinavia as a, perhaps I could retire into a uh, welfare state. But you know what you're saying is true, because uh, who, who are the best capitalists in the world, the communist Chinese? Every year they have a list of best countries to invest in, right, where you have the most free markets. And typically Scandinavia comes out not necessarily on the top, uh, the very top position, but in the top five positions. I mean, very free market. The fact, I mean, the here, I mean, one of the things I'm always surprised about here is, I mean, the postal system in, in Scandinavia is privatized. It is, yeah. Yeah. So you, you see much more privatized entries, entities in Scandinavia than you do here. Yeah. So, so there's why. no stamps, no, no, no one stamp that gets used? Well, you, I think you would be surprised how much it costs to, sh- like, sh- send a letter in Denmark. Yeah, it how costs much? From one part of the country to another, and mm-hmm. it's not even overnight anymore. Yeah. It costs more than three dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of kronen. That is a lot of krona. Yeah. yeah, krona, krona. What's the singular? What's the plural? I don't know. You're confusing me on some of this stuff. Should we take another couple of minutes about that? Since yes. Where we were in yeah. that. Right? I'm sorry. And, yeah. I, and I think one of the things that that students always hear, right? They're like, "Oh, but healthcare is a human right in Scandinavia, right?" Then I tell them, "I'm a." Uh, Danish citizen. I've yeah. lived in a couple of the Scandinavian countries, but I have to purchase a t- uh, an insurance every time I go back to Denmark. You do. I am not covered by the Danish. Uh, if you had stayed, would you be covered? If if I lived there, if I paid my taxes, yes. If I was a legal resident, then I would have uh, been covered. But yeah. just it is not a human right. It is a right when you are a citizen, productive member of society, and you you register and pay your taxes. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. This is all very disappointing. 
First of all, why would you want to go back, really, if that's the case? Let's let's backtrack for just a second here and something that came up earlier. Why are Finnish men such assholes? I have many theories about them. I should probably not talk about it on air. Uh, them and their German cars. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it's not the car that's the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. you can say that. I, I I was just kind of being facetious there, but okay. Certain attitudes. I mean, you have what you can call joking relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, between the the, the it's like us in Illinois, Wisconsin, Illinois. I mean, that's not yes, a good right. relationship. And, and I mean, and it's the same kind of jokes you always have between yeah. between neighbors. Like someone is seen as more the Danes are seen as more relaxed, informal. The Swedes are seen as very formal and someone who's very law abiding. And and the Norwegians in these jokes are always seen a little bit as stupid, and the and and the the Finns are seen as drunk. And that's yeah. kind of the, what you see in this body of jokes mm-hmm. that play on cultural stereotypes. Yeah. The so Finns are seen as what? Drunk. drunk. As drinking. Oh, they're drunkards. Yes. Which is statistically not true. No. Uh, they they no. don't, they don't re- drink le- nearly as much as, as the Danes, for instance. But, yeah. but it is the... Well, the Danes can hold it. I didn't say that. <laughs> and they don't do it while driving their German cars. No. As much. Possibly not. Also, because I mean, in Denmark, you have a. The, it just went down, but you had a sales tax up until three years ago for cars on. What do you think it was on? That's actually my. What do you think the sales tax used to be up till three years ago on cars in Denmark? How, sales tax on cars? Yeah. 5%. 180%. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That was my. Uh, so now then it's. Then I said I lowered it because I don't want to. So that means that you, if you bought a car for. Uh, Twenty thousand dollars, right? You would pay just fifty-five thousand dollars for for the for the car uh, because of the taxes. Uh, now, wait. Well, the, where does that go? That just goes to the government. It goes to the government. I mean, it is what? expensive to keep up a welfare state, right? You have a twenty-five percent sales uh, tax on everything else. Twenty-five percent sales tax uh, in yes, general. Yeah, but yeah. on cars, some of the countries they do only one that's a little lower on on groceries yeah. and, and food. Um, but typically it's in in the twenties for yeah. for the sales tax. But the cars, luxury items, you you put a extra tax on that. Yeah. Now in Denmark it's down to around a hundred percent. So well, now it's that's become good. cheap to buy a car. Yeah, yeah. You're playing right in Trump's hands here. You know, I, I know you're not intending to, perhaps not, but because uh, that's all this all this socialism is a bit you know the rallying cry. And so Bernie Sanders now is going to tax us. Our cars are going to cost uh, two and a half times as much. Because of Bernie Sanders, if Bernie Sanders gets in with his socialism, I mean, th- th- one of the reasons for this, of course, is that, and then just to distance, to nuance that argument a little bit, is yeah. that that the Scandinavian countries, the governments, they actually believe in climate change, yeah. and they actually <laughs> believe that it's real and it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Yeah, so they have happening. taken yeah. significant steps to reduce the uh, the CO two levels in the countries. And heavily taxing cars, heavily taxing, especially gas cars, is is one way of doing that. It is to encourage you to buy electric cars, which are taxed in Norway, hardly taxed in Norway. They're very common in Norway. You see, even though Norway is a big um, oil-producing country, you you still see a lot of um, electrical cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a way to offset. So you would take public transportations in, instead. Mm-hmm. So that's also the climate aspect of it. Yeah. 
Well, that's yeah. very interesting. Let's talk about uh, Heinrich uh, Pantovbiden. Mm-hmm. Uh, lucky. Lucky pair. Pair. Yeah. Um, a stranger in his own house, nothingness, and alienation. That sounds Scandinavian. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Henrik Pantovbiden is a uh, Danish. Uh, have you heard of him? No. Okay. I just saw it in your He's, uh, bio. He, uh, he won the Nobel Prize in uh, 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his masterpiece, uh, Lucky Pier, mm-hmm. uh, actually just in the last five years came out in two different translations here in the U.S. And finally, this masterpiece in, in European literature um, is now widely available here. It's been known in, in Europe as a masterpiece inspired, and Pontopidan was read by a number of the German writers at the time, especially Thomas Mann was highly inspired okay, by him. Yeah. Uh, some of the philosophers at, at the time, George Lukacs, Ernst Bloch, read uh, Pontopidan and named Leukopia one of the best novels ever written. Hmm. Um, what is so interesting about it, it is that he he seems to redefine happiness in this book. Hmm. Right? It is what you find in in um, in the novels here in the beginning of the century, right? You can go with a realist novel from Madame Bovary mm. to uh, the Putin-Brocks to even up to Joyce, right? Mm. Um, is this idea that you have protagonists who are trying to mm. attain something right. and then you have a fall, right? Yeah. They, do, they don't manage. Everything falls apart mm. in, in the end, right? Uh, Emma Bovary dies mm-hmm. uh, in the Putin box, the whole house, the whole empire falls apart. But in in um, in Lucky Pier, he voluntarily gives up everything. He gets everything he ever wanted, but then he gives up, and then he ends up living alone, deserted, in a desolate place in in Isle, in Denmark, where he where he dies. Mm-hmm. And the question is, why? Like. So that's considered a happy ending in Scandinavia. I mean, it's not considered a happy ending. I mean, yeah, there is, or a it is so, right? Yeah. That, but but at least he's trying to say that there isn't something else, right? There is an existential <laughs> happiness yeah, here yeah, that yeah. he might have achieved, um, even though he lost everything, even though he, from the outside, looks extremely happy. So, yeah. Yeah, and isn't that? I mean, when you talk about Scandinavia or whatever you're talking about in the, this whole. Because they always say, well, this is the happiest place on earth, Scandinavia. I mean, and then you look at some of the suicide uh, figures for Norway, for example. I mean, you know, they may be very happy, but they're jumping into those fjords. There, there is the myth about skin, uh, ha- oh, that's uh, a su- suicide oh, okay. in, in, in Scandinavia, okay. right, that has okay. that has existed since Eisenhower in this country, right? Eisen- I'm Eisenhower for yeah, that. Right, that um, Why Eisenhower? I think you think it was a way to um, distance yourself from what was happening in Scandinavia at the time, right? The cost of the building of the welfare state mm-hmm. were um, alienating people and leading to suicide. So, suicide in Scandinavia, as far as I remember, the rates Overrated. are not necessarily higher than okay. you you find in in um, in the rest of the world. The happiness, however. Um, <laughs> When you look at the World Happiness Report, right? Mm. H- happiness is is it depends on how you define happiness, right? right. Um, you can talk about affective happiness, which is like right now I'm extremely not in a good mood because my 
I didn't get any sleep or whatever it might be, right? It's not that kind of happiness we're talking about. We're talking about be more more in terms of contentment. And uh, the World Happiness Report look, looks at a number of different factors to figure out this mm-hmm. happiness. And you ask people on a scale, how happy are you? Mm-hmm. How All things considered, right, on a scale from 1 to 10. And then you look at many other things as well like gender equality and so on. And what we find is, again, the, the welfare state here. Yeah. Take some of that worry away, right? Mm-hmm. Look at here in the U.S. when you ask people about their worries. 50% say they're worried about uh, medical bills and, and insurance, right? That we all know we're just basically one step away from losing our house. Right. Uh, and, and that might not be something, mistake we do, right? It might be something that that happens to us because of an illness of a family or something like that the catastrophe is right there Mm -hmm. in scandinavia it's 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 different because you don't necessarily have those same worries of course you worry about illness losing your jobs but but you know that even though you lose your job even if you become ill you might not lose your house you might not have to take your kids out of the school that they're in and all those kind of things yeah so but at least it takes some of the worry out of the the equation, yeah. right, and yeah. and creates that 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 happiness. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I'm pretty sure I saw Lucky Pierre. I think there was a rather poor movie about it. Yes, there was, yeah. right? And yeah. I tried to watch it too, and I didn't finish it. Yeah, yeah. Who was playing Lucky Pierre? And Hans Christian Andersen is your big one of your big areas, isn't it? Well, it, I I teach Hans Christian Andersen classes that draw a lot of our students in the Scandinavian department here. Yeah. Um, is there more to say about Hans Christian Andersen than we're aware of? Yes, yes. much more. Much more. Uh, I mean, if you look at it from a student perspective, right, they come mm-hmm. in and they think it's 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 a couple of quaint, fun, easy fairy tales mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to read, and they know a couple of them, Princess and the Pea, Snow Queen, Little Mermaid, Ugly Duckling. Mm-hmm. But I think then helping them, working with them to discover the richness of his yeah. works to get past the disney interpretation to get past the disney interpretation and yeah. see the richness of it and help them understand that he really is a truly significant interesting author in the 19th century european mm-hmm. literature yeah. yeah what's most interesting about him his humor yeah his sense of humor i i taught hans christian anderson for many years read him worked on him i still don't get it yeah it is so complex, but and and it works on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, the humor is really what. Yeah. Yeah. Complex. It's terrifying, but it can also be used as both as as criticism. It can be used um, just like a subtle tone in 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 the language. It it functions on so many levels, and and to be able to understand that um, humor, I think, is really the key to understanding his his fairy tales yeah who did he write for when he was writing what was, what was his market the market to begin with what was the bourgeoisie in copenhagen at the mm-hmm. time yeah um and specifically the bourgeoisie children right um the houses that supported him uh, where his friends lived mm-hmm. um and and later right his first collection he published all of his fairy tales in small little booklets three to four stories um, called fairy tales told for children mm-hmm. in the beginning, and then later they were called fairy tales and stories told for children, and then he got rid of the children, just fairy tales wow. and stories. Yeah. Um, and and there's a uh, so they were for adults. 
Uh, he insisted they were for adults and children, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them clearly are geared towards children, but there's always this double artic- articulation in them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, one of the things I, I uh, like to point out is at the end of uh, The Princess as the, and the Pea, which mm-hmm. is a story we all know, mm-hmm. uh, right? The prince who tries to find a real princess can't find one, and then suddenly one day there's a young princess standing at the gate. She comes in, and the, the mother puts her under a pea under 20 mattresses and under 20 either, either down, mm-hmm. either down quilts. Yep. And yet she wakes up in the morning, and she can feel this pea, right? And then they knew she was real princess, and they put the, print, the pea in a, mu- in a museum where everyone can see it. <laughs> And and it's it's short. It's less than a page long. It's the yeah. shortest fairy tale. Um, but the very very last sentence of that story is, "See, that was a real story." And and that sentence, of course, works in two ways, right? You're sitting smiling. A real story means for us as adults that is completely fictitious, right? Mm-hmm. That was a real story. Ha ha. Yeah, that was a story, right? Yeah. We know it's a story. It it's made up. But for children. It has the exact opposite tone to it, right? That was a real story, where real then refers to true, authentic. It happened. It happened, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you find that duality or that double uh, articulation in his stories. Yeah. Was he a political figure as well? He tried not to be, yeah, and he's to. actually been criticized. I mean, he came from from poverty, and he is one of those um, authors we know who came from the most desolate poverty, who made it the highest uh, echelon in the culture of society, that he's been criticized um, over the years by critics for not really addressing uh, the social circumstance of where he, he came from, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he knew that poverty more than anyone. He's written a couple of tales mm-hmm. that, that speaks to it, but, 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 but really not much, right? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, if I had to do all over again, I'd go in a Scandinavian study. At least when we talk about uh, Anderson's uh, stories, right? Uh, But definitely it's – humor has been a a big part of of Scandinavia, right, and being sarcastic and and ironic. And I think there's something you have to keep in mind when we talk about humor and and sarcasm and and irony. It is that it's easy to be humorous. It's easy to use sarcasm and deadpan when you have the exact same cultural background mm-hmm. and homogeneity. Right? Right. Um, because you expect people think the same way to you as you do and act the same way as you do. Right. So it's, it, it speaks to that perceived view of Scandinavia as being very homogeneously historically, which is not fully true, mm-hmm. um, but, but it's much easier to, to be humorous and and use humor when it's someone who looks like you, thinks like you, have the same background as you, right? Yeah. Something who's radically different than you. Um, and of course, what we see in Scandinavia now, that this view of Scandinavia that we have seen um, finally seems to, 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 to change, right? Um, you have had, had a... Um, you've had Im- strong um, immigration in the past... F- 30, 40 years in, in, in the Scandinavian countries. So they don't look as uh, homogenous anymore as they, they used to. 
the countries. Um, but it has also led to the downside, which is the xenophobia and the racism we see in Scandinavia today. Mm-hmm where you in Scandinavia and specifically in Denmark and, and Finland have the strictest immigration legislation on any countries in the, in, in the EU. Right? Yeah. And, and some rather horrific and some would say uh, racist policies in place. Hmm. I'm glad where, we talked about this happiness, putting your feet up and, and sitting in front of a fire here. Because we know but, it's all a ruse. Mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, and that's where you're seeing now, right, in, in, in the Scandinavian context, that the, the right-wing populist parties that came into the existence in the uh, 90s that ran on uh, xenophobic, semi-racist pla- platforms, they are now the ones who are the staunchest defenders of the welfare state. So that means that the criticism of immigration in Scandinavia very much is coupled with the idea that we need to maintain the welfare states. So it is the idea of, of building walls, right? right? Maybe more in, in a Scandinavian-European con- context, uh, more symbolic because there are not that many physical walls. We have the at least the Mediterranean where people have to cross before they they come to scandinavia but it's certainly the idea that we see yeah. today yeah seems to be a global it is phenomenon. it is certain, yeah klaus and Hunter, thank you so much for coming here and, and discussing this relaxation technique because uh, i'm very tense right now and i uh, thank you so much klaus anderson he's at uw madison scandinavian and is it hans christian anderson is what you're teaching now that's what i'm teaching this semester yes yeah yeah Okay. Is there, uh, you have to have uh, some preliminary qualifications to get in that course? Or? Oh, there it is.